And uh, I was greeted very excitedly by the boys. And Annabella gave me one of these. And uh, we're getting better, Annabella and I. I actually don't know what that face means, honestly. She does it so much, it cracks me up. Anyway, but then Mikey, all of a sudden, she greets me with, look, it's going to be like this all day. And she's looking outside, and I said, but it's clearing up. The sun's coming out. She goes, I know. It's going to be like this all day. It was supposed to be like yesterday today. I was like, what is wrong with you and this whole loving rain thing? I didn't raise you that way. Man alive, I was so thrilled to see the sunshine. I couldn't stand it. Anyway, I love that girl. She is something else. Today, we are going to talk about being strength in numbers, stronger together. And in this room, I know that some of us are introverts and some of us are extroverts. And some of you are saying, why is this a topic of Bible study? And you're a little confused. Because frankly, you feel stronger alone than you feel with people. And I just wanted, I, want, I, I do want to bring something up here because uh, I don't know if you've been in a lot of women's meetings, but I have been in a lot of women's meetings where the leader, the actual leader of, of women's ministries stands up and says, I don't know why I'm leading women. I don't like women. I don't know how many times I've actually heard that statement. And and I just want to tell you, <laughs> because I think I hear it from not just women's leaders, I hear it from women. I don't trust women. I don't like women. Um, my best friends are guys. Um, I hear that a lot. And I just want to tell you that that is a lie from the pit of hell. It is a design of the enemy to destroy women. And it goes all the, all the way back to the fall. And all the way back to the curse of the fall. And we are stronger together. God created a community of women on purpose. And he gave us a purpose that is somewhat universal among us and then very individual about just us. But we are designed to be together. And I've been hesitant to bring this up about the march on Saturday, the Women's March. Because I, I have a lot of friends, frankly, who, not in this room, not in this state, <laughs> um, who marched. And I, and I know them, and I know some of the reasons that they, they did march. Um, these are people who are Christians. These are believers. Um, it was confusing to me, but I think that, I think, was the, the salient point for me as I was, uh, I tried very hard not to spend a lot of time watching it, but it was nearly impossible, wasn't it? Um, was the confusion. Was there was no salient point or reason for the march. It was all over the place. But here's what concerns me the most. And if you were in this room and you marched, peace. I, it, this, is not, this is not a point of condemnation on any level, because remember, I just told you I have a lot of friends who marched. So this is not about that. What concerns me the most is the message that came out of it to the world by the people who actually were key speakers. What concerns me the most is that is what the world sees about today's women. That is what men are seeing about women. That is what our children are seeing. Did you see how many children were in those audiences? How many mothers brought their young daughters to, those mar- to that march wherever they were? 
and what they heard and what they saw and the signage. And I saw a sign yesterday that grieved my heart so much. It, 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 was, it had happened almost right before I came here to teach last night. And it was, it hurt. The, the sign was, if Mary had had an abortion, we wouldn't be in this mess. And that was an enormously huge sign that yesterday hit the news. And the grief for me is that that is what women will sign up for because we don't know who we are. And we don't have a tribe. And we don't let people into our lives. And we don't know that we are stronger together under the authority of Christ. So we're going to talk a little bit more later in this message about what I hope that today what we will come out of this with. Um, but as I was as I was studying, so this really this really is a message about Daniel, really, and it's specifically about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but and and about relationship and about being stronger together and, and strength in numbers. But as as I began to study for this, I thought, oh, I'm going to go to my Strong's Concordance and I'm going to look up all of these these verses on friends and friendship. Let me just read to you some of what I found. So some of them were very supportive and helpful. So you don't need to write these down, by the way. This is just um, to let you know where I started in this study. So Exodus thirty-three eleven. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That's good. Job six fourteen. He who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. Good one. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Um, Proverbs 27, 9, oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Awesome. Okay, so there's some, there's actually quite a list. I just picked a few that weren't, were not so helpful when it came to friends. Proverbs 27, 14, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Jeremiah 6.21, therefore thus says the Lord, behold, I will lay before this people stumbling blocks against which they shall stumble. Fathers and sons together, neighbor and friends shall perish. (laughs) And then there's others, Proverbs 27.10, do not forsake your friend or your father's friend and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. So those, that little bit of study didn't help me a lot in, in terms of where I was going with the but. Here's what I found, and here, here is where we start. God created us for relationship. Now, you can't exactly find that in Scripture, but I found this, because it reflects who God is, who the Trinity is. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every little thing that moves on the earth. Let us. Did you hear the first two words? God has always, always, always from the very beginning been in relationship with himself. The three in one. 
He has always been in relationship. Could have been different. God could have been a singular being, but that is not who he is, and it's not who he reflects, and it's not how he created us. Let us create them in our likeness. Create them like us in relationship together. So with that kind of as uh, the beginning of our study, now we're going to talk about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the proclamation in Daniel 3, 4 through 6. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music. Christy, would you start playing a trigon for us, please, so I can know exactly what that is? Um, You are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar, I bet you, um, I I bet you, uh, who's the guy who can play everything? Suddenly his name's got Tyler, I bet Tyler could play it. I bet he could. Um, You're to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Persecution was, as you heard last week from Marty, it was how Babylon controlled the people. And and we live in in a Babylon right now. Now, persecution is not like this. But persecution has begun. My question to you is, how are you preparing yourself and your family for persecution, for your friends? How are you, how are you beginning to look at what is coming for believers? Uh, if, you, if you read the Bible, if you've read the end of the Bible before Jesus comes back, it is not going to be fun times. How are you preparing yourself? We live in a place where we don't have to. But if you know what's coming, how are you preparing yourself? Who are the people in your tribe who could be with you in a fire, who could speak for you in the fire? Daniel uh, 3.13, then Nebuchadnezzar in a furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought the men before the king. And then 16 through 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Three men stood together in unity, and one spoke for three. There was a unity of spirit among them. Otherwise, if if that weren't so, when whichever of the three said, hey, we're not doing this, our God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. And if if, if there wasn't a unity of spirit, could you picture like a a three stooges line? Hey, he doesn't speak for me. He's not, that's not what, I don't think that. Who knows you? Who knows your heart? Who knows what you stand on? Who knows what your beliefs are and could stand with you and you would allow them to speak before a king on your behalf? So it needs to be said gently because we tend to be a little bit fragile. 
But these guys knew their lives were at stake. They knew that speaking to the king in this manner, their lives were over. They knew it. And they knew that there was a good chance because we see this story, we see this account of their lives as this miraculous move of God because he does save them in the end. But he saved them, but he didn't save anybody else. Many people, many of the people they knew died atrociously and God didn't save them physically. So they knew that their actions were certain death. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, God safe? Many of you have watched Narnia, and there's a line in Narnia when, um, when the little girl sees Aslan for the first time. And her question is, as she's looking across the river at Aslan, she asks whoever she's with, I can't remember the names, is he safe? And the answer is, oh, no, he's not safe, but he's good. And I think that where we are today, I know that it's true in my life. We're not prepared to face persecution. We're frankly not even prepared to get on Facebook and make a substantive statement about our faith because we know what will happen, right? You've seen the little meme about you just voice an opinion on Facebook and you see the guy running with an army behind him. If we can't stand for truth, and if we can't, it's not that we need to defend God. Please don't hear me that you need to be all over Facebook defending God. He doesn't need that. But in your life, if you're having a difficult time standing for truth and for your faith, what's it going to be like for you and for me? when persecution really does come. We're feeling the beginnings of it, but when it really does come, what are you going to stand for? What are you going to be willing to say, to stand up for? Um, today, I know that, you know, my, my husband travels about half of our life. And as I've been preparing for this message, I notice that I pray a lot about his safety because he's in airplanes. You know, he, not, not only does he like fly to a, a South American country, but then when he's in that country, he takes two or three other flights. So I'm, I find myself constantly praying for his safety, praying that God will bring him back to me, that, um, that, he'll, that he'll be safe in the country that he's in. And I, and I you know, pray the same thing over my grandchildren, and I pray the same thing over my children. And what I realized as I was preparing for this is it's not that God isn't interested in our safety. I know times in my life that he has intervened. I mean, I drove over my own self with my own car, and I'm sitting here today. So I know that I know that I know that he was there, and he saved my life. I know that. So it's not that he's uninterested in our safety, but he is much more interested in bringing his kingdom to earth, and he's doing that through us. 
And it means that there are people around the world today who are being martyred for their faith. And God is not safe on that day for them physically. Do you understand the difference? I'm not saying that God does, isn't interested in your safety, but he is not safe in the terms that we would like him to be. We are really concerned with our safety. We are really worried about our comfortable, safe, armchair, in the arms of Jesus relationship with him. And he does have those arms. Believe me, I love the picture too. But his ultimate, the ultimate is bringing heaven to earth. And he chose us to do that through. And sometimes our physical safety is not his highest concern. It is the testimony of our faith before an unbelieving world that becomes the highest in his mind. So some of you have heard me tell my, my little uh, story of Job when I, w- when I was going through what I thought at the time was um, the, the complete and total depths of despair. And I read Job in the middle of the night looking for solace and hope. Can I suggest to you not to do that if you're in the depths of despair? Because God and I had some work to do when I finished Job and realized that Satan asked God's permission to do everything he did to Job, and God said, yes, except don't take his life. And I would guarantee you that there were moments, and you hear Job talk about he wished he had, but Job never knows this. It's never explained to him. He goes through what is absolute and total disaster on all fronts. There isn't an area of his life that is not touched. And he doesn't know that God has given Satan permission to do it. What would happen to you and your faith if you knew that some of the stuff you go through, God gave Satan permission Do you know people like I know people who have tried to take out pastors because someone wasn't healed? Because someone died and the the prayers for healing didn't save that person's life. They've left churches. They've left their faith. They've left all kinds of things because life was not safe for them and God did not provide this safety around them. We need to develop something that's grittier, a grittier faith. We need to get tougher. We need to recognize that sometimes, like Peter, Satan has asked to sift us like wheat. And you find that verse in Luke twenty-two thirty-one: Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers." When he told Peter that Satan has asked to sift him like wheat, he didn't say, but hey, I'm holding him off just for you. I'm not going to let that happen just to let you know, because I know that would be your heart. So I'm going with you. He said, no, I've prayed for you, that your faith won't fail you. And can I just tell you, 
my friends, he is praying for you that your faith won't fail you in the test. He's praying for you that in your circumstances today, whether Satan has asked for it and God's given permission or they're just the result of a sinful world, he is praying for you that your faith won't fail. And you need to be praying that your faith won't fail. That your faith won't fail you because the safety, the, the parameters you've put around God and how you want him to operate in your life, that when there's a breach of that, and there will be, that your faith doesn't come to an end because of that. Because God is who he is, right? God is God. He gets to choose. He made the rules. He made you. He has an agenda. He has an agenda that will not be swayed in your life and in my life and in this world and in what's going on. There isn't a thing going on in this world that is not a part of his agenda. And we look at it and we go, this is nightmarish. This is, this is a mess. But if you got a chance and if you haven't listened to Rick's messages from last summer on end times, one of the salient points for me that came out of it was he does this to ring out the last possible moments in people's lives so that they will turn to him. These disasters that we feel so acutely and that we feel in, with such pain, God is wringing out who can be saved because his intention is that all would be saved. But some of us require some heat and some permission for Satan to sift in order for that to happen. So let's get gritty. Let's get built up in our faith. Um, as we go to our groups, we talked about us being this tribe of women. There's two things we, I want to do. I'm going to add something to our prayer, our prayer time. But the first thing I want us to do before you even start talking together, even about the lesson or anything, I want us to, to bow our heads and I want us to, to each ask forgiveness for speaking about women the way that we do, for speaking about ourselves the way that we do. Because I'm going to tell you that we, we all come because of the fall, because of who we are as women. We all come to the world with a, a, this cloak of insecurity. And we walk into a room like this morning, and even on our drive-in, I guarantee somebody was saying, I wonder who I'll sit next to. I wonder who's going to say hi to me. I wonder if anybody will even notice that I'm there. And so we walk in here with that mentality and that cloak on us. I want to challenge you that you don't come into this room or any other room with those thoughts in your head anymore. When you walk into this room, when you walk into your office at work, when you are in your home, when you're in the grocery store, get that cloak off of you. Because it's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell that you should walk around insecure and wondering who's going to notice you. Because frankly, nobody notices anybody much anymore. I mean, that's just real. You know, nobody pays that much attention to us. That's okay. But you can walk into this room and you can be a day changer. 
you can walk into this room with the confidence of the Holy Spirit and change somebody's life by praying with them, a word of encouragement, saying hello. And believe me, over time, you won't walk into a room insecure anymore because you'll walk in with a sense of purpose. Because there's somebody here who needs to hear your voice. There's somebody here who needs to be encouraged. There's somebody at your office. There's somebody at the grocery store. There's somebody somewhere who needs something. And that could be something that comes out of a march like Saturday. That is life-changing. Changes you, changes everybody around you. So I, I, wanna, I want you to spend a little bit of time before you even begin talking. Please ask forgiveness. Let's, we're not going to say words about women the way we have. We're just not going to talk about ourselves that way, and we're not going to talk about women in general. Women are this, women are Don't. Let's just don't anymore. Okay? And then our prayer point together is I want you then to be asking the Holy Spirit, who's in your tribe? Who are, and it's not going to be six or seven people. One, two. Who could speak for you before a king because they know you that well? Who could that be? And Holy Spirit's going to reveal it to you. But I don't want you then to go walk up to these people and say, hey, you're in my tribe. You're going to scare people. <laughs> Pray. If the Holy Spirit is drawing your hearts together and knitting you together, it's going to happen. But pray. Pray for your tribe. Okay? All right, let me pray for you. Oh, God, thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for revealing yourself Thank you for not being a mystery in the places where you intend to not be a mystery. And thank you for being a mystery in the places where you intend to be a mystery so that we keep seeking God. Help us. Forgive us, Lord, for the way we talk about ourselves. Because we are yours and you created us and we have no business talking about ourselves the way that we do. Forgive us, Lord, for talking about our gender the way that we do because you created us with purpose and we have no business talking about ourselves the way that we do. God, I pray that each woman in this room will be a life changer, a world changer, that she will take off the cloak of insecurity, Lord, and walk in a gritty faith before you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.